Logic and Larry, where we only deal with logic, we only deal with objectivity. We aren't going to play with any nonsensical narratives on this show. We're not going to deal with any of the mass hysteria that goes on outside of these sound waves. We are going to keep it 100% real all the time. And you might not like 100% of what you hear, but that's why you can trust that I'm never going to spin it. Because I don't need to appeal to your sentimentality. All I want to do is hit you in the objectivity. God gave you the brain. God gave you logic. And that's where we're going to function as human beings. That's for the better of society. That's for the better of this country. That's for better of our societal dialogue. My name's Larry Luciato Crane. I'm your host on this show. Anything I say on this show is strictly my opinion, strictly me speaking to you as a private citizen in my capacity as only a private citizen on a personal level just for entertainment. This isn't legal advice. This isn't any kind of official word from any other entity other than myself, the person. I apologize. My voice isn't as on point as it usually is today. Allergies are killing me. Allergies are really killing me out here. And uh, I apologize for that. Thank you for complimenting the tune in the background. The playlist is out every week when I'm done talking. I put the uh, recorded version out along with the playlist of the music. So if you're digging any of the music, be sure to come back when I release the episode and I'll paste the playlist. I had to play. Initially, I was going to play just the two Nas joints to start off the show tonight. But unfortunately, we had the terrible news that uh, Shock G passed away. If you don't know, he was the infamous, uh, he, he rapped with Pac, obviously, and uh, the Humpty Hump dance, and you know Pac was in that group as well, they even made a little cameo on a film, which was about Jersey, which I never really understood, it was Dan Aykroyd, it was a weird, weird film, forget the name of it, but anyway, uh, he was on that uh, I Get Around song with Tupac, so I figured I'd play that and then I played the Nas songs. And, you know, I really missed those those hip-hop songs from the 90s, like Nas. The reason I fell in love with, with that genre of music and became an artist myself was because of that raw poetic intellect and that raw, you know, reality that was coming through my speakers over that smooth music, something that has uh, never been recreated. And I, I long for that type of intellect, that type of creativity in any facet of our society these days it's really it's a sad thing but before i get into the you know the news of the week we talk about what's going on i am broadcasting to you live from newark new jersey overlooking broad street right now a little bit of activity on the street the lights are shining bright it's a clear sky empire state buildings lit up green tonight i don't know why maybe somebody else does it looks beautiful though except it's damn cold out all april it's been cold man it's been that that you know, you get a nice day and the sun's out and you're feeling good. And the next thing you know, these gray cloud cover moves in and this cold breeze starts hitting you. And it's a nightmare. But from what I hear, the next two days will be very, very nice, which is good. So I'm excited for that. And I'm excited to be with you tonight. We got a lot going on. Let's let's jump right into the news this week. What happened this week? First things first. I mean, probably the biggest news story nationally that was out this week was the the trial that everybody was watching it was the Derek Chauvin trial uh, obviously you know everybody knows that he's the officer who was uh, who is now convicted of murdering George Floyd 
The video left not much room for interpretation, as we all know. But I did tell you on here that, you know, it's hard to get a guilty verdict no matter what case you're talking about. Remember Casey Anthony? You could look at the OJ case. There's a lot of different cases, and it's not easy, no matter how evident it seems, to get a conviction in a criminal case in this country. It's just not. Nonetheless, I think, you know, if you watch the trial, like many of us, I didn't watch the whole thing, but I caught glimpse, clips, clips of it, glimpses, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, the prosecution put on a very good case. They they didn't pull any punches. They were very detailed. They built that case up rock solid. The defense wasn't particularly impressive, in my personal opinion. They did their best to try to punch some holes in the prosecution's case, really, with the only from the only angles they could. Um, and, you know, it didn't work. I think many of us expected, especially with the relatively short but long enough, it's hard to explain, but short but long enough deliberation that there would be a guilty. Uh, Minnesota's got an interesting statutory regime over there. So he wound up being guilty in all three counts. I thought they were lesser included counts, but they weren't. They were each count had a different element or two in it. So he was able to be convicted of all three. But you should know that when it comes time to sentencing, they're going to merge into one charge, right? So he's only going to be sentenced on the most serious charge. He's not going to be sentenced separately on each count. And everybody should be prepared for that. Now, from what I'm reading, and I'll continue to get into it as things progress and as we reach sentencing, from what I'm reading is uh, the, the guideline says, so when you're sentencing somebody, there's a guideline generally for that that specific crime that degree of crime and then you know based on your criminal record other factors there's a guideline as to where you should be sentenced uh, for that crime the guideline if you look at Chauvin's record which he doesn't have a record and you look at the crime itself the moderate guideline that that he would be sentenced to normally would be 12.5 years so 12 and a half years however if there are a myriad of aggravating factors and other contextual factors, he could be sentenced up to 40 years. And I'm sure most of us are hoping that he gets towards the higher end, the 40 years. Um, but I'm preparing you that, you know, the judge is not supposed to take anything into consideration other than the aggravating and mitigating factors on the record and, you know, the things that he's actually legally permissible to take into consideration. So the prosecution has already filed for an upward departure on the sentence. And what that means is the prosecution's already uh, made a petition to the court to sentence to much more than 12.5 years. The prosecution alleges a bunch of rationales for this. They all seem to be on very solid ground. Um, depravity, um, helplessness since she was handcuffed. These things are, are good arguments. They're sound legal arguments. I think there is a good chance that there is an upward departure, but the guideline is 12.5. So, you know, that's just putting the sentence in perspective. That's just the cold, hard truth of the legality of what's going on in the case. And everybody should be prepared for that. Um, look, the case is also it's, it's going to get appealed. Um, every case, almost every criminal case in this country where somebody's convicted, there's an appeal because people are just going to try anything they can to try to get the conviction overturned. So there's going to be an appeal. Um, there's several different grounds they can try. I don't expect any of them to be successful. Uh, 
Um, probably, you know, one of the ones that's more compelling because the judge himself even said it was, you know, the the issue of the jury not being sequestered and all the inflammatory statements that were going on. But let's face it, a lot of trials, especially high profile trials, trials across the country that aren't high profile have issues where the jury's not sequestered and where, you know, the jury may have heard something. But unless they can show that the jury did hear something and make a really good argument that the jury it did affect the jury's verdict, it's going to be hard to declare that it was a an error sufficient to overturn a verdict. It's just going to be tough. Um, I saw Alan Dershowitz in the news recently, and uh, Alan Dershowitz was saying, you know, that that the there should be an overturn. It should be overturned. Uh, what people like uh, Maxine Waters did was reprehensible and that that's enough to overturn the verdict. The verdict will be overturned. Alan Dershowitz, man, ever since OJ and before that, that that very wealthy individual who apparently killed his wife in Rhode Island or whatever. I mean, he just he's a defense attorney through and through and he just hates when guilty people get convicted, in my opinion. So Dershowitz, look, esteemed attorney, brilliant mind, brilliant legal mind. But I'm not surprised that he came out with an article like that. That's that's right up his alley. And that's what he's going to do. Do I think it's going to wind up actually overturning it? No, probably not. Probably not. And that's a good point, Siren. I mean, you know, you got to show that they knew it and that it affected them. Let's be honest. I mean, you know, Dershowitz saying that they felt so threatened. He compared it to the way the KKK used to intimidate jurors, you know, and, and they were so threatened that they had to return a verdict because they thought the whole, you know, the, the sanctity and the peace of the whole country was resting on their shoulders. Whether Maxine Waters said something or not, they're going to think that. Everybody knew about this case. Everybody knew, you know, what this case was going to boil down to. Everybody knew what was at stake. At the same time, the case was very clear. And that's why so much was at stake, because it was so clear. And the evidence was so clear. And the way that the prosecution put on the case was so clear, as was the way the defense really failed to poke a lot of holes in it, was so clear. So I don't think it's a surprise that it was a guilty verdict. Anybody surprised has some serious issues. But but that being said, that being said, all right, Miss Waters, I mean, she shouldn't have done that. Let's, Let's be real. You know, I got up here. And even though my audience is way smaller and I don't make any money on this and I got nothing to gain because I'm not running for anything. Fact is, I never went out on this this rhetoric and pontificating and filling people's head with rage and filling people's head with craziness. I came on this podcast from Jump. And when I discussed the trial, I continuously just gave objective facts as to what it takes to get a conviction what the different variables might be for everybody to remain calm and concentrate on the actual procedural aspects and the nuanced aspects of a criminal procedure as it pertains to a criminal trial. And that's what anybody in a position of influence and power should be doing. You know, social activists outside of public officials are different. You know, if you're just a Al Sharpton or, or somebody else, and you just want to go out there and, and make your voice heard because you have that kind of agenda. I mean, that's that's your prerogative. You're a social activist, right? But when you hold a public office or you hold a, a, a public uh, position of trust, you really can't be out there, you know, threatening things and, and, and with all this vitriol, vitriol and 
it just was a bad look. And, and anybody on, on any side of anything that really comes out that way and doesn't allow the judicial process to play out correctly and doesn't do their best to educate the public and educate those around them as to what's going on and instead just inflames the situation you know that, that's problematic now now i don't think it's going to cost this this conviction but imagine if it did right how how damaging would that be it's, there's no need for it you know it seems like these politicians though they're just full of hot air any they, any chance they can to get a mantle and to get themselves out there and to be heard they're just going to take the mantle and just they don't care what damage they do they don't care what it what what the facts are they don't care about anything they just care about getting attention for themselves it's just part of the reason that our our political discourse is so broken you know and, and i'll get more to that later and you know i apologize ahead of time too i apologize ahead of time you know if i sound like a broken record tonight because i i truly do and i, I don't mean to I, I truly don't i don't want to just get up here every week and say the same thing over and over and over again but it seems like the same situations keep playing over and over again. And it seems like the message that I'm trying to get across continues to be an issue out there in the public. So, it can, you know, my message has to be consistent in what I'm saying. And so I apologize if I sound like a broken record. But, you know, that was just uncalled for. But the, the conviction, I think it was a sigh of relief for many of us. I think it was it, it was obviously the right thing. Um, it shows that the justice system can work. It doesn't always work as we'd like it to, but it, it can and does work in this country. Um, and, and justice and accountability was served in that particular case. We will see what happens with the appeals. We will see what happens with the sentencing. But at this juncture, that's where we are. But let me tell you something. You know, one of the most disturbing things I saw after that verdict, I immediately went out to... to, to express you know my pride in in our system express pride in the fact that accountability was doled out that justice was doled out and i was happy to do that um but one of the one of the most troubling things i saw and it's kind of up that point that i just made was on the one side i never really expected that anybody would be this ridiculous but you know i, I spend so much time you know, going back and forth with the left and, and arguing with the left about the merits of things and, and delving deep into, you know, commonly held narratives and ideologies and intellectual theories on the left. And sometimes I forget that there's even this looming right that can sometimes be like a caricature of itself. And that as long as that caricature is propped up against the left for them to look at and point at we're never going to have any progress with the the conversations on the left and the reason i say that is after this chauvin trial i saw you know and i'm always talking about how i'm invited to these these left-wing groups on facebook and i'm on just like a sports message board okay just a sports message board and there's a number a considerable number and all of them kept trying to say well you know chauvin still should have been guilty but there was a considerable amount of people on the right who were seemed legitimately disappointed in the verdict. Like it, they wouldn't really say it flat out, but I could tell like they wanted an acquittal. And that's that's crazy. And it's just a reminder of the, the racism and the level of nonsense that still does exist in this society, you know, where people actually thought Chauvin would be acquitted. People were raging against not sequestering the jury and really were acting as if on the right really were acting as if if the jury had been sequestered or they hadn't been threatened or etc that 
that they might have acquitted this individual. And it was just insane to see. And then even crazier than that, I saw people on the right comparing this or just in general comparing the situation to Ashley Babbitt, the lady who got killed breaking into the Capitol when the cop shot her dead at the Capitol. People were comparing those two situations. And I didn't understand that because I was like, I mean, one person is breaking into the United States Capitol, the United States Capitol, and she's shot. I mean, who cares if she was breaking into the United States Capitol? She's a traitor. You know, it's tragic. It's tragic when anybody dies. But she was breaking into the U.S. Capitol. It has nothing to do with a case like this. Not even close where a guy's kneeling on somebody's neck and kills them like that. None. But it just shows what we're up against. And on the other side, you know, another thing I saw that was sad but telling, but I'm not no, so – I was surprised at that a little bit. I wasn't as surprised with the left. I saw everybody that, you know, Benjamin Crump, the activists, Sharpton, Jesse Jackson, people that I, that I know, people on my timeline, anybody who was really invested in this case and was traumatized by what they saw. They all rejoiced at the verdict. I saw everybody happy about the verdict. Some were paused, like, well, this doesn't solve everything, but, you know, this is a step in the right direction. This is a good thing. I just feel good right now, which is to be expected. To be expected. But I saw other people, mostly these blue check marks. I'm always talking about them. I don't know who they are. I don't know who anointed them. I don't know who awarded them the check mark. But all these blue check marks on Twitter, mostly. We're out here on the left still saying, well, I don't know why I don't feel good about this. I don't know why I'm still mad. I don't know why this. And then instantly pivoting. Well, this is one thing, but we still got all this. Don't lose sight. We're still angry. We're still, you know. And it dawned on me. It dawned on me. Why are so many of these people on the far right and the far left kind of almost, I don't want to say disappointed to dejected, but almost like, not not thrilled about the verdict. I realized it's because they were waiting for rioting. They were waiting for protest. They were waiting for division. They were waiting for conflict. The media was waiting for it too. Did the media spend that much time on Chauvin, the verdict? I mean, if you think about it, they reported he was guilty. For that one afternoon, that one night, they talked about it. But then they quickly, quickly moved on and quickly, quickly, quickly were trying to find something else to be angry about. Not that you have to run a victory lap for a whole week, but with the amount of time you devote to all the negatives and all the injustice, you'd think they'd devote some considerable time to the justice. Maybe they could go through the sentencing, what to expect. Maybe they could have several panels for a couple days talking about it. Maybe they could have some memes about, show. I saw a meme today, I'm not saying it's funny, I'm not saying it's a laughing matter. But there should have been more activity with the conviction. I saw a lot of people just pivoting. And it dawned on me that a lot of people on the right and a lot of people on the left. And I'm not when I say on the left and when I say on the right, look, the majority of everybody that I interacted with and the majority of every news outlet, right and left, I'm not trying to make a straw man. The majority of people everywhere were happy with this verdict and celebrated it as they should. OK, on both sides and, and in general. OK. But. But there were a considerable amount of people who seemed that they were almost disappointed. Somebody had even posted on, on my page before the verdict came out that they hoped 
that things would be even more crazy than last summer. Like they were, and this is a left-oriented person, like they, they assumed it would be a not guilty and they were hoping that it would be destructive. And I know that this was partly in jest and just because this person gets quite angry about these things sometimes, but it, it really bothered me that somebody would be hoping for that. And I, and I realized that these sides and the media, they really do stand to to thrive on division and destruction and conflict. See, if there was protests and then riots, then the people on the right can continue to scream and yell and have something to yell about all day, about the destruction of cities and this and that. And then the people on the left could continue to advocate for it or, you know, rage against the, the system, et cetera, et cetera. And I realized that as long as these groups are invested in our division and are invested in highlighting all the bad in our society all the time and never the good and never a unifying message and never a unifying event, then we are going to continue to be bogged down in strife and anger and frustration and infighting for the foreseeable future. There's merit to pointing out the things that are bad. And there's obviously merit to pointing out the things that we don't do well in this country or the things that need changing. But to only dwell on that and never highlight a victory is demoralizing for a population of people, period. And we do have problems in this country. Namely, I think our problem is inequality that creates poverty and then just general violence, gun violence. And that's not one race. That's, that's pan-racial. In this country, we have a violence problem. We have a gun violence problem. We have drug issues. We have a we have a real we have real problems. Okay? Inequities with the shrinking middle class. We got problems. But if we never highlight a victory that we can collectively say we achieved, then how are we going to reorient ourselves to take on other challenges together? It's just it just it it became something that was really interesting. And, and demoralizing to an extent. And I don't think it's this. Some people are conspiracy theorists with it, right? Like they're trying to divide us to conquer or, you know, some shadow group is trying to divide us or keep us apart. I don't think so. I think it's plain old human nature for profit and clicks and attention. I think the more clicks and attention and things that people can get, they're just going to strive to continue to try and get it. And it's just, it's absurd. It's really absurd. And I don't know that the verdict came too late. I mean, it was a pretty quick trial. Most murder trials can take up to two years, you know. But anyway, that was, that was quite disturbing to me, quite disturbing. And it was funny because I was reading an article, you know, and, and the justice system is supposed to be neutral, right? We're not supposed to insert our own political ideologies to get the outcomes we want. It's supposed to be that if the person is guilty, they're guilty, and if they're not guilty, they're not guilty, okay? I read an article this week in The New Yorker. It was an interesting article. It was about uh, a woman named Elizabeth Loftus, and if you don't know who Elizabeth Loftus is, you should look her up. She kind of was groundbreaking in research in the 90s and the early 2000s. She, she had a lot of research on memory, on the human memory. And one of the biggest things she was responsible for was she changed the narrative that human beings remember things like photographs, like snapshots, like a reel that they could just access in a vault and then replay. 
she came up with and was backed by studies that human beings actually are constantly recreating memories. And when every time they recreate a memory to pull it up, it's susceptible to be altered. And therefore, memories are not these photographs that are locked away in a vault, uh, proverbially. They are these actual living, breathing things that can continuously change. And the reason that was relevant to criminal law was, and I learned about it in law school, we had a whole class on wrongful conviction. She would testify with for the Innocence Project. She would testify on high-profile cases, usually for the defense and usually for defendants. And she was a standard bearer of kind of wrongful conviction and the dangers of relying solely on eyewitness testimony, which is a big reason, to be honest, why there were so many people who were convicted of crimes in the 60s and 70s and 80s when before DNA evidence. And then subsequently, we've seen some of these cases and convictions overturned when we tested the DNA. She was a big reason for that. So for a long time, she was the hero of leftist activism, right, which was the, you know, ACLU branch of things, the, the, the innocence things, the, the anti, I don't want to say anti-conviction, but more against convicting people, more on the side of the defendant in criminal cases. She was their hero for a very long time. Well, at some point, she started testifying for defendants who were charged with molesting people when they were children. But, but, but listen, she was testifying that this idea of suppressed and repressed memories based on her research. Now there scholars disagree on whether this is true or not, but she didn't agree with the, the, the main line of thinking. And she said that this repressed memory thing is more likely a fabrication and that people are brought about by their doctors to remember quote unquote things that may never have actually occurred. And also that people's perceptions were different of certain events. So she was starting to testify on behalf of men who were accused of sex crimes. And somebody that she actually testified for in court was Harvey Weinstein. Now, the reason I'm bringing this up when I talk about the justice system and on a show that's all about logic and a show that's all about objectivity the reason I bring her up is that apparently, according to the New Yorker article, when she started testifying for defendants that those left-oriented people didn't like, she was persona non grata. They, at a certain college, I forget, she was supposed to speak at, uh, maybe it was Columbia, one of the, the big schools in New York, or Cornell, she was supposed to speak and the students had like a, a whole walkout thing. They wouldn't let her speak. She had to be canceled. They canceled her speech. And one of her feminist colleagues who she had gone to college with said she doesn't want to speak to her anymore. She's, she's setting them back. She's setting feminists back decades. But these were the same people who when she was testifying, you know, for defendants who robbed people, who, you know, other murdered people, they, that was fine. But when she did it, on the side of a movement that people valued, she was destroying the movement. Why is that important? It's important because it shows inobjectivity. By some people that claim to be righteous, if you're going to be righteous, you've got to stay consistent. And if you're going to stay consistent, then there's going to be certain things that you're going to have to acknowledge that you may not emotionally or ideologically agree with. If you're going to support the memory research of somebody who's going to testify predominantly for the defendants in criminal trials, then you don't have to support when she 
you know, defend somebody you don't like, but you have to stay consistent and say, well, I think this research is solid. I think this is the right thing to do. Therefore, even if it sometimes gets people that I don't like acquitted or sometimes falls on the side that does, it doesn't support my political movement, I got to just deal with it because I was I, I advocated for it on the other side. I don't see a whole lot of that these days. And it just brought me back to that situation where, you know, you can't just influence the system the way you want it based on your political ideology. That's very, 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 very dangerous. Okay. That's why we have a separation of powers or we're supposed to in this country where the judiciary is independent from the executive is independent from the legislative branch so that these populist whims and these, you know, political uh, movements do not, do not taint the objectivity of our system because whether you want something to be true or not should not affect what actually is true and what actually does exist because that's injustice right that's injustice so this week and i'm not going to spend too much time on this because honestly i hate to say this and i don't mean to sound insensitive or sound you know, too frustrated or anything, but I'm not going to spend too much time because shortly after the Chauvin verdict, there was this other explosion leading right up to the weekend, right? It was this case in Columbus, Ohio. Columbus, Ohio, where a young lady, tragically, she was a teenager. She tragically lost her life. She was attacking two other young women with a knife. She was attacking two other young women with a knife, okay? These young women, there's a 911 call, called the police. They asked specifically for the police because they were being attacked with a knife. A knife kills people. A knife also causes permanent damage. I don't know if any of you have ever seen photos, graphic photos of an actual stabbing and what it does to somebody. But if you haven't, it's really something tough to look at. She was attacking two people with a knife, okay? Police showed up. The body cam is very clear. The body cam is very clear. They, they, they played it in slow motion. They played it over and over again. It's very clear. She attacked one girl, threw the girl on the floor, swung at her. The girl seemed to be cut a little bit on her hand from the video anyway. The officer did not shoot. The officer raised his gun, ordered the young lady to stop. She then attacked another young lady. She had that young lady against the car. She had the knife wielded back like she was going to attack that young lady. The cop fired. The teenage girl tragically died. But you know what? Two other young African-American women who were being attacked with the knife were saved. That officer may well have saved a black life as tragically as it is that he took one. He pulled the trigger because a young woman of color was under attack from a knife. Okay. And, and I can't placate, I can't in good conscience placate absurdity anymore. They are protesting like crazy this shooting as if, I hate to say it, it's a tragedy she lost her life. Chances are when this investigation clears up, it's probably going to be deemed a justified shooting. 
because in most states you're allowed to use deadly force to protect yourself or a third party, especially if you're a police officer. This girl was attacking another girl with a knife, okay? The fact that people are protesting this and saying all these things and how could you, how dare you, you know, kill a young girl, et cetera, et cetera. That's the kind of stuff that tunes people way out, okay? Is it tragic that she died? Of course it is. Is it another example of the system in this country resulting in people of color dying every day from issues like this, whether it's by police or street crime or et cetera? Of course it is. I've been beating that drum for a long time. We need change. We need substantive change. But zeroing in on somebody who was about to stab somebody getting shot and attacking only that and only attacking law enforcement instead of the overall problem is like somebody having cancer in the lung and attacking the cough with cough syrup instead of looking at the cancer and using cancer treatments. This wasn't the police officer. This was because of maybe a failure of the foster system. Maybe a, a, a failure of, of, of God knows what else. I think, you know, the, the white kids in Ohio State University who are demanding that Ohio State gets rid of the relationship with the police and the white kids at Ohio State University staging all these protests, they probably haven't even seen the body cam video. I don't think it's because those kids at OSU are so sick of seeing it. I think they wanted something to protest about. I hate to say it. Crucify me if you want. I'm just speaking what seems to be the truth. Because that was is she was going to stab somebody. She's going to stab somebody. And here's, here's what's maybe even more tragic than that. I want you to seriously think about this. And again, you guys know where I'm coming from on this. I want change. I want to draw attention to things. And everybody on this podcast that I see anyway always acknowledges all my posts. And you guys are awesome because you do because you guys are consistent. But a lot of other people don't. Here's something interesting. And they might not have adequate training, but the fact is there's no training for that. He held the gun a long time and the girl was about to stab the other girl. There's no de-escalating that. There's no de-escalating that. Yeah, they could use training on de-escalating situations, but I got bad news for people. Unfortunately, the world is a rough place and this country has a violence problem and a gun problem. And no matter how much training people get, there's going to be situations. I know it's hard to hear, but there's going to be situations where people are attacking officers or attacking other people. And they tragically, unfortunately, end up deceased because of it. OK, it's it's sad, but sometimes you can't prevent it. Now, here's what I want you. I really want you to think about this and I want you to get in your deep breath modes because I really want you to instead of figuring out, you know, the, the next argument back to what I say or, or justify. Just think about this. There's a name that you haven't heard this week. There's a name that you haven't heard at all this week, okay? The name that you haven't heard at all, that there are no murals of, that nobody's protesting about, that the media is not reporting on but for a few local papers and an occasional other one. The name is Naeva Givens. You heard me? Naeva Givens. Who is she? Well, Naeva Givens. She was a young black girl, 13 years old, this week 
on, I think, Monday or Tuesday in Cincinnati, the general Cincinnati area. Cincinnati area. 13-year-old black girl was stabbed by another girl, stabbed by another girl, and she is dead. Her life is lost. Right around the same time as this other case in Columbus, her life is lost. She was 13. She was a teenager. She was stabbed by another teenager, her own age, another girl. You don't see her name. You don't hear about her. You don't know a thing about her. The people in her neighborhood held the vigil. The people in her neighborhood cried. The people in her neighborhood want justice. People in her neighborhood said it's senseless. Her family did, but no one else. Media didn't flock to it. No one's marching. You know what I want you to think about? And be honest with yourself. If the young lady who was about to be stabbed in Columbus, but for the officer intervening, if the young lady had actually been stabbed and killed, just like Miss Givens, if she had actually been killed, if the cop hadn't fired or the cop hadn't got there in time and she died, the media wouldn't be reporting on her dying. No one would be painting murals of her. There wouldn't be outrage in the streets that she passed away. How? And I want you to be honest with yourself. How sad is that? Because the person about to stab somebody got shot by somebody that happened to be a cop, that happened to be an interracial shooting. It's front page national news. But if the stabbing had actually occurred and the other young lady, the victim had died, you wouldn't have heard about it. You wouldn't have heard about it. Just like you hadn't heard of Niava Givens. You wouldn't have heard about it. There's no arguing it. It's true. And you know it and I know it. And we all know the reasons for it. And we know the, the this and that. Doesn't matter if they're held to a higher standard. There's no, there's no questioning it. This this constant pivot. Oh, they're a higher standard. All it is, guys, this is a logic show. And when you do that, all you're doing is just you're just pivoting, pivoting, pivoting till you dig yourself into a hole. Just admit that the logic is sound. It's true. There's no pivot. Well, it's because the cops are higher standard. Well, it's because they need training. Well, no. She was going to stab another person, and the cop had to intervene. And if she had stabbed that person, it wouldn't be on the news, and no one would be outraged about it, which is sad. They should be outraged about it. Today, I posted a video from Newark, New Jersey. An activist named Donna Jackson filmed it. She's the same activist who filmed the protests in Newark after the George Floyd killing last summer, where the neighborhood people fended off the white anarchists who were trying to burn down the police precinct. She's the same activist. She filmed the family of a young lady who's been missing for two years, who's a mother of four, who's a woman of color. I got no shares. I got no reactions. I got no likes. I got no donations. I got no nothing. And it's not like I'm a hero. I didn't go out and look for her myself. But again, it's hypocritical and it's got to be called out. There's really no way around it. There's just no way around it. And you have politicians and athletes and people jumping the gun and coming out and condemning the cop, like saying he needs to be held accountable for saving somebody's life before all the facts come out. Anybody who tweeted that kind of stuff before the facts came out and now they're wrong because it was actually a justified shootings, tragic as it is, you need to be suspicious of those people going forward. 
Next time those people with those blue check marks say something ahead of time, you should be like, let me see, wait till the facts come out. Because this person blew hot air before. This person doesn't seem concerned about what's right, what's real, what's true. They seem to be concerned about getting attention and capitalizing off the anger. And I, I, know, I know it's, you know, I'm going out on a limb saying this because it's like the craziest thing that somebody would say this rational stuff. It's so wrong for me to say rational things, but I'm not going to back down on it. I'm not. This is too much. And, and Devo, I agree with you. Same thing with me. Same thing with me, man. I've been holding back. I've just been saving it for the podcast because it's like, what's the point? <laughs> what's the point of saying it online? People are just going to get angry. I mean, I deleted so many comments to friends when they posted things because I don't even want to get in the argument. I'll save it for the cast where the audience actually wants to hear what I have to say. And you know what? If the world doesn't want to be rational, the world doesn't want to wait for facts to come out, then I can't change the world. But it's sad. We all do our best to share facts. But the media is after us. It's like, yeah, you're right. I don't blame people for getting angry about these things because it's not their fault. But the way that the media projects certain things and not the other, it's taken away our, all of our collective ability to make strides where we need to. There is systemic racism. There is problems and there are problems in policing. Okay? There is inequitability in the people dying every day from crime and from police. There's, there's problems. But if we're not focusing on the actual problems and we're talking about this other stuff, it's crazy. And then the other thing I want to say is the media sensationalization epitomizes to me white privilege. If you don't believe white privilege, you don't believe that white privilege exists, just think about the fact that when a 14 or 13-year-old or 15-year-old child has a gun or is in a violent situation or interacts with the police, there is a contingent of this country that clutches their pearls and goes, gee, Williker is a teenager? If your reaction to that, if your reaction is that to these stories, then you are living in a white suburban privileged bubble, okay? Because didn't didn't people try to get this across in the early 90s? Wasn't Boys in the Hood a movie that was supposed to shed light on all the horrible things that were happening in certain impoverished areas, in redlined areas, in areas that were being ignored by white America, that children were killing each other in the streets? Wasn't Boys in the Hood about teenagers getting ready to go to college who wound up killing a young promising athlete for nothing? Wasn't that film supposed to draw attention to that? Didn't Hootie and the Blowfish in the Time song sing children dying in the street over the color of red? Didn't he say that? Children have weapons. Children are dying at an alarming rate. Why are people so surprised? Oh my God, a 13-year-old? If you didn't know that, get your ass down somewhere and help somebody out. Get your ass to the voting booth and vote for equitable housing, equitable schools. Go donate some of your time. Go mentor a child. And by the way, some people have reached out to me as early as this week asking how they could mentor children, how they could get involved because they want to put their money where their mouth is. We could and we can tackle problems in this country and we can all do it together. But while the world was fighting so much over that, they were fighting so much over that. We missed a big story out of Indiana that that is a, another topic we've been talking about. And again, another issue that we've been dealing with is in this country involving violence and involving, you know, I feel like every time we wake up, there's this excessive violence in this country from all angles, mass shooters, white domestic terrorists, Trump people that are invading the Capitol. OK, invading the Capitol in an insurrection. Young girls trying to stab each other, some stabbing each other and killing each other, other ones ending in a police shooting. 
There was a mass shooting in Indiana last week. A mass shooting in Indiana. Eight people were killed. I believe it was at somebody's place of business. Let me tell you what happened in that case. What have we been talking about? Solving actual problems in this country. What have we been talking about? Getting illegal guns off the street. Thank you, Siren FedEx. What have we been talking about? Finding ways to prevent mass shootings. Trying what we can. What have we been talking about? We're lost in the media sensationalization because if they can't find a racial angle to some mass shooting, then it's not worth it. The one in Georgia was worth it because they could find the racial angle with the Asian Americans. And this one didn't have a racial angle, so, so they don't talk about it. But let's us talk about it because it's really important. You know why it's important? Because Indiana has a red flag law. And we have discussed, we have discussed, yeah, I know, I agree color exists, Devo. I totally agree color exists. I'm not, again, just, you know, just because I say that, that, that we can move beyond color, not everything's about color, doesn't mean color doesn't exist. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is it's not everything. So, I mean, if anybody's aware of color exists, it's me. You know, there's a lot of African-American men that know it exists, and then I do too, okay? The, 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 the professions I've been in, the circles I've run in, the things I've tried to do, Colors have been very evident to me too. Not not on the same level. I understand that. I know that I have privileges that African American men don't. I know that. I'm not denying that. But I know about color, hundred percent. Otherwise, I mean, I, I spend most of these podcasts talking about it. I wish I didn't have to, but I do. So I know it exists. I'm definitely not denying it at all. But back to this Indiana case. Back to this Indiana case. We've been talking about ways to stop mass shootings. Well. We've been talking about red flag laws. And again, red flag laws. What do red flag laws do? Well, red flag laws enable police departments or local prosecutors' offices to take somebody's guns away if they are deemed to be a threat to kill themselves or hurt somebody else or hurt, you know, a mass of people. Red flag laws or, or their spouse. A lot of these red flag laws are, you know, used in domestic violence situations. So Indiana has a, a red flag law. Now, the question becomes, well, there was a mass shooting in Indiana. So would the red flag law, should it have prevented the shooting? Could it have prevented the shooting? What can we learn from it in terms of do red flag laws, you know, prevent shootings? And is it advantageous for us to have red flag laws and to use them? Well, the story in Indiana was that the young man who was, I believe, 19 years old, his name was Brandon Hole, I believe, in March of 2020, so last year, right when COVID started hitting, in March of 2020, his mother called the police and informed the police that she believed her son was suicidal and that he was going to attempt suicide by cop. And isn't that an ironic statement in general based on just everything we're talking about these days? There is a thing as suicide by cop and people do it. Suicide by cop. That she was worried that he was going to go out and get himself into an altercation, a violent altercation with police in order to get himself killed. And that he was a risk to himself and a risk to others. So by making use of the red flag law, the prosecutor's office was able to go in and confiscate the shotgun that he had in his possession and take it. Now, here's the interesting part. Here's what we could learn going forward about these red flag laws. It 
would have most likely, depending on the judge's ruling, it most likely this red flag law in Indiana would have prevented these eight people from losing their life had it been used. What happened was they took the shotgun, but then the prosecutor's office had to file a petition with the court. They had to file a petition with the court in Devo. I totally agree. Totally agree. And we talk about this every time and you're 100% correct, man. 100% correct, Devo. 100% has to go national. Otherwise, it's very weak. But in this particular case, the state law would have prevented it because what happened is once they confiscated the shotgun, had they gone in, had they gone in and filed a petition with the court to, to prevent him from purchasing guns in the future. Now, the standard's higher. So the story coming out of the prosecutor's office down there is, well, we already had the shotgun. We didn't want to, you know go for the petition because if the judge denied our petition, they would have made us give him the shotgun back. I don't know if I'm buying that. Okay. They had the mother who was probably going to testify what a risk he was. No one's taking chances these days. I doubt the judge was going to give him the shotgun back. Here's the crazy part. Had they filed that petition in Indiana, had they filed that petition and they won, which they probably would have with the kid's mother saying he's suicidal and he's a danger then he would not have been able to because he would not have been allowed to and he would not have been able to purchase the weapons that he purchased a few weeks ago that he used to kill eight people. Had the prosecutor's office made use of the red flag law, eight people's lives would have been saved. We lost that in the news. You want to talk about holding people accountable? You want to talk about holding public officials accountable? You want to have a national conversation on gun reform and what laws work and what laws don't work? Talk about the media dropping the ball. I think I got that maybe on an obscure New York Times article. Remember, I scour the news for things to, to, to make sure that I'm being objective, to make sure that I got a scope of what's going on before I come on and talk to you guys. Buried. Buried in the national media conversation is that story. That story is instructive in so many levels as to how we can fight mass shootings. That red flag law would have worked. So that means that those kind of laws can be used. But then you got to have accountability. Again, the system's only as good as the inputs. And the people who were in charge of filing that petition in Indiana dropped the ball. They dropped the ball miserably in Indiana. And that should be a huge news story. That that office not filing that petition and the fact that that law could have worked should be national headline. It should be a national conversation. We should have panels of people on every news station discussing the ins and outs of the red flag laws, the implementation of the laws, the mechanisms that they function by, what discretion it is, whether it's in the purview of the prosecutor, the judge, whoever. The standard of evidence to to get to win a petition, it should be all over the news, but it's not a story that could help us get where we want to go is not in the news. It's a shame. And that's what I'm talking about. We don't have to pivot. We could just say, Hmm, it's not my fault that I feel this way. It's what's being pushed into my face all the time. I'm questioning why they didn't make more of a story out of that. Me as a thinking person, I want to, I want solutions. I want to know why my local politician isn't talking about this. 
I want to know why my my news station isn't talking about this. And if they're not going to, then I'm going to go find the news myself, and then I'm going to make the phone calls myself, and maybe I'll even run for office myself, or I'll get a petition myself to get these things done because no one else is speaking to it. We don't have to defend why we feel a certain way because we're being fed something. We can say, you know, I, I, I refuse to eat this nonsense anymore. I want to go take in this stuff. And I'm going to start feeding them reality and rationality and progress and solutions. We can say that. It's a shame that that story was buried. It's a really important story. I encourage you to read more about it. Now, getting to, you know, the overall point of, of where we're going, you know, the infrastructure situation is an ongoing, ongoing debate. And it's going to, I think, wind up being a very good package that's going to really benefit a lot of people, especially New York, New Jersey. We need badly need infrastructure upgrades in this country. We are lagging behind several other countries. We are lagging behind China. I've read a lot of positive articles that say if we go through with like a very big upgrade in infrastructure, it could really harm China a lot. And let's face it, we're at war with them economically, okay? So an interesting story that came out this week was, you know, it's, it seems like a tidbit. It seems like regular domestic politics, which I wish I could get back to talking about, the ins and outs of, of legislating. The ins and outs of legislating. And I, I think you're right. I think you're right. We need, we should have psych evaluations. I mean, why the hell not? Why not? What's what's the harm? So it's a little harder to get a gun. All well, keeps the rest of us safe. It's a good point. See, that's a good thing to bring up. That's a good, you know. Now we're talking about solving problems. Now all of a sudden, but this infrastructure thing's going on, and so they met. Biden's been meeting with Republicans, and here's the interesting thing, right? There's all this. So you see, Bernie's taking this position which is smart right it's smart on his side to do it he's trying to sell something he's smart but i don't buy it his messaging and it's 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 clever and it's he's not wrong but i I still think it's a stretch his messaging is well when we do an infrastructure package bernie sanders when we construct an infrastructure package it's not just actual tangible roads and bridges infrastructure when we're discussing an infrastructure package we mean human infrastructure too human infrastructure so we've got to put all these other things into the infrastructure bill that aren't really infrastructure because we've got to invest in human infrastructure great messaging idea he's not wrong about some of the things he wants to do but it's a stretch right so Republicans are hitting back and they're saying, look, I'll, I'll deal with what actually is actual infrastructure. But all these other pet projects you want to shove in here because you want to get things done in your you know, Democrat agenda, I'm not down with. So there's this ongoing debate. The Republicans have somewhat of a point there. On the other hand, of course, they're trying to shave things way too low. They don't want to invest in electric cars, which to me is like we got to eventually innovate electric cars. It's just a wave of the future. We're going to gasoline's expensive. We're going to run low on it. It's, it's polluting the atmosphere. I mean, why would you not want to invest in electric cars? Come on. We're never going to invest in electric cars now? Come on. So whatever. But the other thing they said that really, really struck me, which was just interesting, and I just, you know, it just feeds into this whole theme of tonight, which is just this this media and this, this national politic argument that thrives on just these caricature divisions. The Republicans basically said, well, we'll talk to you about infrastructure. We will... Discuss compromise, 
but but we are not going to entertain for one second raising corporate taxes to pay for it. And I thought to myself, I thought, what planet are they living on? Like, who cares if you're – I'm not saying bankrupt corporations. It's like we're talking like 3% or something, not even up to the pre-Trump levels. And studies have shown that the money that corporations saved in the Trump tax cuts, they didn't trickle down to employees. That a lot of the companies were just putting the money in reserves or buying other companies or buying back their stock app options. So it's not like the stock breaks were, were great for everybody else. I mean the uh, tax breaks. And they're not even trying to raise them all the way back up. They just want to raise them a little bit to help cover the deficit that we're going to have from investing in our infrastructure, which we desperately need. And I'm like, who are the constituents that are begging Republicans not to raise corporate taxes? I don't know any human being that's like, other than maybe somebody who's got those stock options like crazy and sitting on the board or a CEO who, who makes money based on revenues, I, who, who is going to complain about that? It just seems so foreign, and I started thinking about these parties, and I, I was thinking part of the problem in this country is that one of the reasons we struggle to have a dialogue, and I'm always complaining that we don't have a dialogue, right? I always complain about this far left and this far right and how it's such a detriment to our society. Again, I apologize if I sound like a broken record, but we keep having this conversation over and over again. And I wonder if part of the problem isn't that the right, the Republican Party as it is today, is not just something that really isn't part of our actual dialogue and its existence is hindering an actual conversation on the left, right? The left has to be everything that the Republican Party is not. So they have to encompass all of these identity issues because the Republican Party is thriving on identity identity politics right now. They're making it like their entire voter base almost is white, save for a very few people. And they're making it identity. Trump was all about identity. Then the left is making it all about identity and everything's identity. And I was wondering if, you know, if they were kind of gone or on the fringe, wouldn't the moderate Republicans – and the moderate Democrats then be able to discuss real systemic, ec economic, progressive, whatever issues with the far left and start negotiating and battling that out? Like, isn't it time that the Republican Party had to sit and talk and had a, had a real sit down and an actual upfront conversation with the anti-abortion people? And we're like, you know, we fought the good fight. We fought the good fight. But this is this isn't. We're not talking about this anymore. We, this is over. This is over. Like, this, get rid of this. We're not on this anymore. If like voter rights, or like you know, we're not discriminating. We're not trying to. We're not trying to lower voting anymore. We're not trying to be discriminatory in voting. That you, you lost that like fifty years ago. Like you know, you gotta let that go. Can we let that go? Like, what if they kind of just like. Throughout our history, we had the Whigs. They dissolved. We had the Democrat Republicans. They dissolved. We had the Federalists. They dissolved. When, when they were no longer necessary, they went away. And I think part of the reason we have such a frustrating political atmosphere now is like one of the, one of the main parties is like not the party itself, but a huge constituency of it won't just go away. We're like we're not on that anymore. That's over now. Like, like go away with that. And I found it interesting because – I was wondering, like, maybe they don't have an incentive to go away. And then it, it was interesting. I was reading that the biggest fundraisers in the Republican Party right now 
the biggest fundraisers in the Republican Party right now are like Josh Hawley and DeSantis in Florida. Like the guys who were the most about overturning our free election, the ones who, and Devo, that's sad, and I, I'm not totally, I don't totally disagree with you. I don't totally disagree with you. But I'm trying to I'm trying to find some solutions. That's my job, isn't it? I think so anyway. But Josh Hawley, like the guys who wanted to overturn the election, who didn't want to just deal with reality, they fundraised the most money this year. It's crazy. So like instead of adapting to the times, I think since it's run by mostly individuals who are out for self-gain and self-preservation, Rather than say, hey, we really got to adapt. We got to realign ourselves. We got to realign ourselves to get more moderates in our party so we could have other arguments that are more serious and more relevant to today. They're like, I'm going to stomp my feet, cry like a baby, say the election's rigged, try to restrict voting, try to keep gerrymandering, try to stay alive artificially as long as I can. Instead of going out like a man, I'm going to go out like a suicide bomber. The far right's going out in the Republican Party. I mean, it's become the far. They're going out like a suicide bomber. Like, I'm going to raise as much money as I can by just denying reality. We're literally going to have an insurrection and storm the Capitol. Okay. We're going we're gonna to keep trying to win as much as we can. We're going out like a, like a suicide bomber. We don't care if the dialogue's getting so bad and so unhealthy and the obstructionism's getting at an all-time high and the rhetoric's getting through the roof and the country's burning down. And We, we don't care. We are going to stay right here. And fight it out till we all go. We all go down. <laughs> I'm just saying it's a little crazy, and and it feeds into too all these laws I see passed now. Like you go to Oklahoma, and you go to Florida, and they're passing like anti-riot bills. All right, you want to pass an anti-riot bill, whatever. But guess what? There's no riots in your state, so why are you passing an anti-riot bill? You don't have the re- any reason to. Then they're passing like these transgender laws like you barely have any trans people in your state what are you doing like they're only doing it for the headlines the national headlines because then you see states on the left that are already really tough on guns just pushing even more gun laws that may or may not affect anything just in their state it's like these states are only doing this to get national media headlines and national attention from the national audience, which is ba- mainly mass hysterical nonsense, just to up their own clout, their own recognition, and their own fundraising nationally. Even if the law has nothing to do with any actual problem in their state. And it just got me thinking, like, we got to stop this. We got to get off this mass media, mass hysteria, mass hot air nonsense. Because it's taking us all down with them. We're all going down like suicide bomb, like suicide bombers at this point. It's, it's sad. There's no common sense and rationality anymore. It's like people can't wait to find something to fight about and go crazy. People can't wait to pass some irrelevant law just to get headlines, so they can raise more money on there. And and, and the more wrath, like you public, you you pass an anti-riot law in Oklahoma, friggin' Homa. You're getting the wrath of the, the whole media and everybody in California and New York and New Jersey who's mad about it. No one in your state even cares. You don't even have a riot problem. But when you get their wrath from California and New York, then you get the sentiments of everybody in the red states. So you generate your buzz and you generate your fundraising and you generate attention. And that's what you want, but you're not actually doing anything for your state. I'm sure Oklahoma has more pressing issues than an anti-riot bill, to be honest. 
But this is where we are, guys. This is where we find ourselves on a Thursday night at 1020. And I hope next week that I don't have to be talking about another police shooting, race thing. I, I hope. I know it's wishful thinking. But I just hope we can talk about agenda items, legislation, solutions, rather than always focusing on our conflict and problems. But I don't know. Like Devo said, I don't know if I'm confident. I can see the solutions before us. I can see the opportunity to do good and to have a solution. I can certainly, certainly see that. I don't know if societally we have the willpower. And I'll say this. I've been thinking more and more about this. And I'm I'm no martyr. None of you guys are martyrs. We live decent lives. We're getting through. We're enjoying the fresh air. You know, we have a lot to be thankful for, as well as a lot to be frustrated with. But there is something to be said for the fact that throughout human history, human history, recorded human history, is riddled, just riddled with the works and art of people who were intellectual free thinkers who were being oppressed and persecuted by masses around them who were, you know, who held certain opinions that they didn't like the free expression of these artists. Spanish Inquisition, you know, the persecution of Christians, the persecution of Jews. Um, Dante's Inferno, he wrote it because of all the corruption going on in the Catholic Church. It's not like it's new that masses and masses and masses of people are going to storm a capital or not look at the facts of situations, or et cetera, and then vilify those who are the voices of reason. But that's no reason to back down because you want to sleep at night being the voice of reason. You want to sleep at night knowing that you weren't pushed around by any commonly held nonsense, that you stuck to your principles and you do what's right. And if you can go out and make a difference in people's lives, and you can go out and make a difference in society in the right ways and you still stand up for what you hold to be true and what you know to be objective in the face of pressure from all angles not to do so then you can sleep soundly at night and if there is ever any anything that'll ever judge you or if history judges you or if you're going to judge your own life at the end you'll have something to stand on and whether it's popular or not you should be proud of that. And whether it's popular or not now, perhaps that level of consistency and credibility will carry itself forward in your lifetime in any endeavor you might take on, and people will respect that. And you'll have a, an influence to do good and do what's right because you weren't pushed around. And I know it's not always easy to stand up in the face of peer pressure from everywhere. It's a very real thing. Societal and social pressure is real. And it's difficult to truly stand on a principle and, and really want change and to do what's right, but not necessarily do it and say it in the way that other people want you to. That takes a lot of balls because a lot of the people, and, and I when I say balls, it's figurative because plenty of women do it even harder than men. So don't take that the wrong way. That's just an old saying, you know. Sometimes my jersey gets in the way of my eloquence. I mean, I've been going for for over an hour. I just riff, guys, so you know. Give me some give me some credit. Give me a break, you know, give me some slack. Um, but it takes a lot. It takes a lot to do that. Because you may be fighting for all the right things, but if you don't necessarily frame it the way certain people want you to, they might want to shun you. 
And that's happened throughout history, too. Happened with Malcolm X. That happens with a lot of other people that you don't want to. Your philosophy may not be exactly what somebody else's philosophy is, even though you're fighting for the same things. And we also got to try to do away with that as best we can. We got to be fighting for the right things on the same page. Even if we disagree with how to do it, we can't vilify each other for having a different take or for trying to speak up to call out something or to just shed more light on a situation. We got to be, you know, able to see through that and work together. Now, all that being said, I'm going to take a few calls. I'm tired. I got a, uh, a, a nice weekend coming up. I'm, I'm tired, but I, you know, I want to get to sleep on time. I'll take some calls, but I, here's my thing. I don't want to delve too far into the specifics of the, the police race thing. I don't want to get too much on gender, race, all that, because it's, it's, we talk about it all the time. It's all anybody's talking about. It's a sensitive issue. You know, people have a tendency to say things and then, you know, I just, I don't want to, I don't want to get too crazy discussing the specifics of that. You want to talk about general things like general politics, generally what I said today, the general media, that's fine. But I'm not, I don't want to feel calls on specifics and breaking down who's right and who's wrong and old cases and it's, it's too much. And I, and honestly, I say the term trauma is overused, but all of us are, are have anxiety and stress and all these from all of this. No matter who you are, it's on your mind. We've all been stressed with COVID on top of all that, which I barely even touched on tonight because there's so much other craziness going on. But, you know, I don't want to touch on those specifics tonight. We all know where everybody stands and it's fine. And if there's something else you want to say about that, you can just DM me and we'll talk privately. Um, but if you want to talk about generally what we talked about on the show, you want to bring up a whole nother topic. You want to just say hello, you want to compliment the music, whatever, I'm taking calls. You can call me on the app or you could call me on the uh, old reliable telephone number. But I'm telling you this, the telephone number is going to be obsolete soon because the app's so easy to work that, uh, you know, I'm going to primarily be on the app from now on because i gotta pay for that extra phone number i'm not gonna do it anymore and rick i'm sorry about that i'm sorry about that i just don't want to you know if you want to generally talk about how you're frustrated you can't say what's what's objective that's fine i just don't want to get into these specifics i just don't because it's i'm exhausted <laughs> and i'm sure many of us are exhausted with that i think you know i, I don't know you, you know um you know what i want to do is i want to because i can have up to Man, it looks like I could have up to seven. Yeah, I am. I'm stuffy too. But up to seven callers at once. So what I want to do is if we're going to talk about issues like this in the next couple of weeks, I'm fine with it. What I'll do is I'll set up a panel, man, ahead of time. I'll set up a panel. And, and that way I could take a break. I could relax. And I'll set up a panel where you guys could talk to each other and you guys could go at it and you guys could bring up whatever opinions and I don't have to be the one necessarily um you know I don't have to be the one necessarily doing all that all the work with regard to that you know because it just gets exhausting after a while you know doing all that stuff it just does um so look any no one wants to call I know I know you guys are disappointed some of you now cuz you don't want to cuz you wanted to talk about those things and I, I understand why and I understand it's why you guys, uh, <laughs> the grumpy bunch, I wouldn't say it's the grumpy bunch, you know, we're just, it's just a hard time. Like, you know, it was, 
when we're, I think going forward too, the weather's going to get nice. We're going to be talking about the COVID thing ending. We're still going to have to grapple with these hard issues. We're still going to have to do it. All right, I got I got God's dog in here, which is Rick. Rick, so you're on the app now. Yeah, I, I had to get in on that a little bit, but and I won't go into the details. So how are you doing? I'm doing good, man. You know, I'm I'm actually doing really good, believe it or not, except for these allergies that are killing me. I'm doing great. Like I was happy about the Chauvin verdict. Um, I got a nice weekend coming up. It's going to be nice out, but you know, I'm just a little tired and stuffy, and that's all. How about you? How yeah, you doing? That's- I'm, I'm all right. I'm, I'm old. <laughs> yeah. It's a little disheartening. And I, like like you said, I'm not going to get any specific about anything. But I was called a bunch of names by a bunch of, you know, 20-somethings, mm-hmm. uh, including fascist and Republican and mm-hmm. grumpy old man whose days are numbered. <laughs> Jeez, really? Because of, yeah, because of my stance that you know, about what we were talking about, right. which we can't get into. Well, you're but just saying that I am some Republican, Republican police loving fascist old man. And so I told him to get off my lawn. <laughs> but, but it is frustrating, right? You get categorized so quickly for pointing out like facts and nuances. You're not even necessarily saying a position. You're just like, look, here's facts of a certain situation versus that. And the dialogue today is so messed up that you just get chased out of the room basically and called all kinds. You get labeled for just, trying to have a logical, rational conversation based on actual fact. It's crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah. Now, and, and the other conversation that I was in was about somebody posted something, and I see a lot of this, but this specific one was about how the white man, you know, subjugated the people of Hawaii, right? Right. So what I said was that is the history of humans on this planet. Right. Straight across the board. Right, right. right. And King Kamehameha subjugated all the rest of the Hawaiian Islands, you know, I went into this whole thing, and then it turned into, you know, it's become almost a conspiracy theory on, like, my end of the story. I think these things are being posted to divide us. I don't think that this Hawaii thing came out of nowhere. Right. Nowhere. But then I'm talking to these ladies, and they're saying they didn't learn about slavery or Native Americans or any of that in school. And I'm thinking, how is that even possible? How did you not learn about the Civil War in school? Yeah, we all learned it. I don't get that. That doesn't make sense to me. Right? It seems like it's not and true. My son's, my son's got even more than just the slavery aspect and the Native American aspect. I mean, it went into Jim Crow and, and redlining and the civil rights movement. You know, Yes. It, it went in depth. And these people are acting like, well, we got to educate people about all the bad things. I'm like, well, let's talk about both sides, right? Let's talk about the good things as well. I mean, you know, 600,000 people died ending slavery a president was shot because he ended slavery right yes and yeah slavery did a lot for the south i don't disagree with that but it didn't it didn't build this country and and i that this rhetoric that's being pushed around the inner tubes just seems like it's divide it's dividing us purposefully well i would say i would say you know i would say slavery did build the country i think a lot of our wealth and things were on the backs of african americans who were enslaved and native americans who we stole their land what i have an issue with is that there was some project the new york times 17 something project i forget the name of it and that theory and i think this is what you're maybe getting at to or what you're seeing uh derivatives of on the dialogue is that it was premised upon the thesis, the thesis that 
the entire country was only formed. The only reason we formed it, the only reason they even broke away from Britain was to establish a land of white supremacy and to, um, uh, what do you call it? To establish, it's the wrong word, but to promulgate slavery. I disagree with that thesis. And now partially, yes, partially there was the freedom to continue the slave trade and was the freedom to massacre the Native Americans, which the British were against because of treaties and things. So it's partially. But to say that was the entire reason we fought the revolution is beyond a stretch as a thesis. And that is a thesis that I, I tend to disagree with. Yeah, wow, that, that's crazy. I mean, the reality, though, is that slavery in the United States after our independence lasted just under 100 years. And I'm not saying that makes it okay, which is what I get a lot when I say something like that. Oh, so you're justified. No, I'm not justifying anything. Right. I'm just saying that we also ended it. Yeah, we ended it after Britain, but... But this idea that, that it enriched America, let me, let me touch on that a little bit. The slavery made a few plantation owners. I think 50% of the slaves were in like three southern states, like over 50%. And since like the 1800s, the northern states were all considered free states. Right, right. So the, the Industrial Revolution really helped the North do away with the slavery in the first place. Like uh, South America got 20 times the slaves that, Amer that the U.S. did, right? And, and, and America under Britain, right? They got 20 times the slavery, yet their uh, systems are not – they're not rich. Brazil's not rich. You know what I mean? They're not wealthy – built by slavery kind of things. And if that was the situation, wouldn't that be the case? I mean, if slavery enriches you because you have free labor, wouldn't South America be like the richest or the, or the Caribbean even, but the Caribbean is largely relying on tourism, right? Yeah. I mean, they have different resources too, though. I mean, you got to remember we, you come to, first of all, the, the wealth was here before the revolution. So they had slaves all the way back in early 1600s or late 1500s. So so that's a way more than just our independence. We were getting rich because the cities were still here. Like Newark predates the United States, you know, even Freehold too. So, and then our crops. So the Industrial Revolution, yes, the North definitely then got even more wealthy. They were a capitalistic society. Part of the reason Siren points out too, why did we end slavery? Part of it was to get into a more industrial, you know, type of setup where it's not this feudal system in the South. We could all get with the factory thing and just, as you would probably be sentimental to, pretty much just work everybody to the bone in a capitalistic system. But part of that was because when they invented the cotton gin and whatnot, they actually needed more slaves to, for the industries in the North. So the, the free labor in the South working on these crops that they didn't necessarily have such a wealth of in the Caribbean and South America did help help a great deal in enriching the country, I would say. So and I just want to hit on one other point you made because I was I was at dinner the other day with a couple of people. We were having these kind of conversations and our good friend Elliot Fant, who's a friend of the show and who's my friend, and we were chilling at dinner. And Elliot brought up a good point. He said, look, throughout history, everybody's been enslaving each other, conquering each other, et cetera. We just live right now in a time where it was – you know, white Europeans who were the latest ones to do that in our modern era. So we tend to look at them and say, well, they are the imperialists, they are the conquerors, et cetera, which is true for the, the country that we currently find ourselves in. However, to intrinsically 
categorically vilify one race of people as if they are the only ones capable of or who have ever conquered and pillaged is a misnomer in the face of human history. I think you said that basically, and I, I agree with that. I won't be vilified by who, by what I look like, no matter what. I'll, right. I'll be cognizant of the history we live on, but I'm not going to have you just say categorically for anybody. I'll stand up for anybody. Any race should not be categorically vilified for any reason. It, it just, it, it's frustrating. Like you were saying, it's all frustrating because even when we make progress, people go, no, that wasn't really progress. That was some bullshit where, like you said, why can't we celebrate that for a second, right? Right. No, I, I agree. Yeah. I agree with that. And I think, right, I, I agree. I agree with that sentiment. I think you get caught in a place where if you say, be happy with it, people are like, well, there's still so so many systemic problems that just telling us to be happy with one thing, you know, who are you to say be happy with this? On the other hand, I think I truly do think this, and I've seen it more recently in the last 10 years, is this nostalgic um, longing for 60s, 50s style activism. And what I mean by that is we have made certain strides to the point that the society is substantially different than it was in the early 20th century, in the, in the mid-19th century, and so on and so on. It doesn't mean that we fully eradicated inequality. Far from it. We still see the results of our inequality and our systemic race problems every day. But it means that with the progress we've made, we've changed the way that the problems manifest themselves. We've changed the amount of things we need to do. We've changed the way everything looks. And it, we're going to need 21st century activism and 21st century tactics to continue to solve the problems to get to the promised land, which is a more perfect union in a better country. But people want to apply mid 20th century activism because they have an affinity for it. And I, I say that because I think in order to justify mid 20th century activism and a mid 20th century ideological approach to activism, they need to uh, frame 21st century issues as mid 20th century issues. And the only way they could do that is to say nothing's changed. Nothing's better. It's all the same because then I can I can use the same activism I want to, you know, militant type activism from the mid 20th century to tackle the problems because I can say it's the same problem, even though it's the same underlying problem, but a very different manifestation of it. So I, I agree with you there. And I think that's the root reason why everything continues to get minimized is because the current crop of academics, I think, who, let's face it, politicians are just going with the crowd and the crowd's going, I, I got to say a lot with academics. They release a big book or a big study and it permeates thought societally. And academics are driving this mid 20th century style activism and saying that everything's the same as it was. It's just taken a different form. And that's driving these people's, you know, ideologies on the subject. And it is frustrating. It is. It is. Sure. Yeah. The frustrating thing for me, especially regarding this group of 20-somethings that were hammering me, right? Yeah. Is they don't seem to understand that because my generation, Gen X, right, because we were parents of these kids that are in their 20s and some of them in their 30s, we are the ones that didn't continue to promote the racism that led them to their wokeness. No, it's an, it's an interesting so, thing, and it is it is frustrating because I think – 
you know, we're, it's like all we want to talk about, you know, these days. And it's uh, it's just exhausting yeah. because I think it's it's gotten more pronounced, I feel like, in the last 10, 15 years. And not that it not that it doesn't need to be discussed because it does. But we were still dealing with racial inequities 15 you know, years ago. But it wasn't at this point where yeah. a fever pitch where it was every single issue, no matter what it was, you were only finding the race angle. It's just it's just crazy. It, re- it really, really is. Yeah. We've seen progress in our lifetime. Even you, you know, 20 years younger than me, you've seen the progress in your lifetime. But I'm not going to keep you because you sound like you're not doing well. <laughs> I'm just like tired. That. I'm just tired. That's all. But yeah, yeah. and I'm, I'm more exhausted with these subjects and this news than really anything else. So but I appreciate the call, Rick, and I appreciate the conversation, brother. Always good to hear from you, sir. Yeah, I always like talking to you, too. All right. Talk to you soon, Rick. Get over show. (laughs) All right. Bye. Bye. Yeah, I look forward to seeing you guys again next week. Um, As always, your comments are much appreciated. Your conversation with each other is much appreciated. And, you know, the reality permeated, even though reality sometimes sucks in general. But reality is what it is. And, uh... Logic and Larry is always going to be logical, so you can count on that, and you can count on having a free space to exchange ideas with each other and having a free space to call up and to disagree with the callers or etc., 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 whatever you'd like to do. But I do appreciate everybody tuning in. Mostly appreciate you guys sharing your thoughts and joining me and, and bearing with me through the logic and then just processing that. But listen... It's going to be a beautiful weekend. As we have been talking about, COVID is starting to finally dissipate. The shots are going out. It's going to be nice out. Go enjoy the weekend. Enjoy yourselves. Enjoy being alive. Enjoy your friends and family. Go outside, take a breath of fresh air, and enjoy your community. Because the people outside those doors are not as divided and angry as they are on social media. Take a break from social media for a few days and go enjoy life. It'll alter your perspective and it'll put you in a much, much better mood. In any event, this has been episode 30 of Logic and Larry, and I will see you all next week. Enjoy your night. Enjoy your weekend. Good night.